There you go. Okay, kids. Every now and then I slip out of the house without having my attire checked. And uh, apparently I wasn't festive enough this morning, according to the person who checks my clothing. (laughs) Oh, boy. Now you have an inkling of who I have to live with. Pull out your bulletins. A couple of very important notes. This is a busy week. Tomorrow night is Christmas Eve. We have two services from 4 and 6, at 4 and 6. So if you're going to come, especially if you have a family that you're bringing, uh, make sure you get her early because the place fills up really, really fast. And so if you want to have a chance of sitting together, come. And then next Sunday, a week from today, is our end-of-the-year praise service or celebration service where we have a chance to, all you have a chance to, to just share what God has done and uh, where you've seen him at work this year. Maybe he's blessed you in a certain way. Maybe he's taken you through a challenge or a struggle. We like to hear about it. We love to hear how God is at work. And so every year we do an end-of-the-year celebration service. So next Sunday, one service, 930. You'll uh, get an email about that this week explaining it. Okay, before we jump into this whole question of what does Christmas sound like, let's uh, stop and pray. Father, we... uh, We love this time of year. It's a time when we stop and can focus on you and and think through carefully who you are and your appearing. Thank you for coming back for us. Father, we lift up our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers, our relatives, um, those, Lord, who maybe at this time of year, um, maybe they're struggling. We ask the same prayer for them as we do for us. Come and meet us where we are. You are so good at that. Come and meet us. Come and meet our friends, Lord. And once again, show us mercy and help us to see, to think through more carefully who you are and what it means that you came for us. In your son's name, amen. Okay, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And um, most of you have been here enough to know that the uh, the series come up with our children's ministry is wasn't me who came up with it. I love it. The five senses, five senses of Christmas. What does Christmas smell like, taste like, look like, feel like, sound like? And um, it's been a I've really enjoyed the series. I've never thought through the theology of the five senses and how God has really created us to receive him through our senses. Now, let's stop and just remind ourselves, what is Advent? Again, what is Advent? You tell me. What does that mean? Come on. The what? The coming, the appearing. Christ is coming, right? And when we lived, if you had lived in the first century world, it would have been very easy for you to look forward to the return or the coming of the Messiah because you would want him to come and rescue you. Life was very hard. It was very oppressive. Uh, They're occupied by the Roman government. And so uh, they longed for the Messiah to come. Uh, When he did come, it was a surprise because it wasn't what they expected. We'll come back to that in just a moment. It's a little bit of a challenge for us today to look forward to the second coming of Christ because 
uh, life is not the same as it was for them. And so one of the things that we are working on continually as a church is developing rituals and traditions that actually generate hope and teach you theology. A good tradition embodies theology. It embodies what we believe. A tradition done well, we've used the image of the old King James, a dark glass that just for a moment becomes clear. And the reality of God steps into our world. The reality of Christ, the reality of eternity appears just for a brief moment in our world. That's what a good ritual does, a tradition. These are to make you feel good, but it's more than that. It's to generate hope, um, to give you a sense that we actually have a God who cares about us and loves us. We enjoy that Christ came and we look forward to his return. That's what we're working on. So today we're addressing what does Christmas sound like? How many of you uh, push the buttons out there? Oh, man, you're such adults. You should see the kids, the Santa Claus, right? Pushing all the buttons. When you leave here, I want to see all of you pushing the buttons out there, listening to the noise and the jingle and watch what happens. What does Christmas sound like? You'll notice up here that the, that the younger children were more concrete focused, and the older they got, the more... Uh, metaphorical they became, philosophical, it's happiness, it's joy, that sort of thing. We're actually going to see that in the scriptures as well. Now, as you might expect, uh, sound and hearing play just as important a role uh, in our theology as do the other senses of what we've seen so far. No surprise there. And here's one of the reasons why. In the ancient world, all the pagan religions had very little uh, emphasis on sound, hearing. wasn't part of their traditions. Unlike Israel. Israel, it's, we are steeped in sound. You're going to see it in just a moment. But not so in the pagan religions. Because we now know the gods weren't real. Remember the idols? They couldn't hear. They didn't have ears. They didn't have noses. They couldn't smell. They didn't have tongues. They couldn't speak. And so they, uh, they never looked to the gods for information, verbally, orally. That's not part of their tradition, none of their traditions, not part of their world. But in Israel, it's all throughout our, our religion, if you will. Um, Israel relied primarily on the ear and hearing to receive revelation. That was the primary means because they were listening for the voice of God. So Israel was distinctly different with this one sense than all of the other religions because we, we listened. We wanted, you know, Abram wanted to hear God speak. So listen, I, listen to these verses here, these ideas. There's a whole bunch. I just, picked, I just picked a few. They're all throughout the scriptures. In Genesis 1 and 2, we have the gentle voice of God leading Adam and Eve in the garden. Helping them name, help Adam name. Um, the animals, giving him instruction. And then by chapter 3 of Genesis, you have Adam and Eve's terrifying fear as they hid from God. Why? Because they heard the sound of him walking in the garden. God reveals himself through sound and through noise and through speaking. By the time you get to Genesis 22, you have Abraham and Sarah at the birth of Isaac. You may remember the story. Uh, they come to uh, God comes to Abraham first and says, "You're going to have a son." Well, he's 100 years old, and he <clears throat> he prostrates himself on the ground and he chuckles to himself. 
right. Like an old man's going to have a child. So then a little bit later, uh, they come back and they're talking to Abram. This time Sarah is behind the tent flap and she's listening to the uh, two angels and the Lord talk to Abram. And they said, we're going to come back this time next year. Sarah's going to have a son. And she starts laughing. They said, why is Sarah laughing? She said, I'm not laughing. Yes, you are. (laughs) Can't hide from God. So you have Abraham laughing. You have Sarah laughing. Sure enough, a year later, she gives birth to a son. Guess what they name him? Isaac. You know what that means? He laughs. That's what it means. He laughs. God gets the laughs laugh. Okay? They're laughing their heads off. And Sarah says, who would have thought that God would bring honor to an old woman? He's got to be laughing. So we'll name our son Isaac. Laughter. Laughter is a part of it. The sound, the noise, if you will. Exodus 19. They've just come out of Egypt. So they're in their third month. Excuse me. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. How does God introduce himself? First of all, you have the thunder, the mountain shaking, and then you have a trumpet blaring so loudly that people are covering their ears and they run to the other side of the valley. We talked about that earlier. God introduces himself with noise. No God did this. No God in the ancient world did this. Our God is very different, very unique. Psalm 51, David cries out. If you have not ever read Psalm 51, if you've ever struggled with sin, Psalm 51 is an incredible psalm of confession. Uh, David finally recognized the hurt the destruction caused by his infidelity with Bathsheba. And he cries out. So we have a God who hears, not only speaks. Matthew chapter 2. We heard a little bit of that today, tonight. Uh, Today, the incredible sound of weeping for the children that Herod killed. Can you imagine across the whole land, he kills all the boys two years old and younger? Can you imagine that? For those of you that have children, have the government come in and kill your two-year-old son? No wonder there's weeping all across the land. You get to Luke chapter 2. You have the beautiful and terrifying sound of the angels praising God above the shepherds. So picture being out at nighttime, stars everywhere. No artificial lights. You're way out somewhere tending the sheep, minding your business. And all of a sudden, angels appear everywhere. The glory of the Lord is so bright, it it blinds you. And they all start singing praises to the Lord. No wonder they were terrified. No wonder they were scared. It's, most be- it's beautiful and terrifying all at the same time. No gods did this. None. You have Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. All the people came together at Pentecost and said, what is happening from all over Jerusalem? Because when the Spirit came... It was a sound like a rushing wind that went through the city as it filled the faithful with the Spirit of God. A very loud noise. And you've ever been in a hurricane or near a tornado? Wind can be loud, can it? And that's what they heard. First Thessalonians 4. They're a little concerned about their friends who have died before them. What's going to happen to them? Paul says, don't worry. The dead in Christ will rise first. When? When the trumpet sounds. When the trumpet sounds. 
And so, sound. God is going to call us to him with a trumpet. We have nothing to worry about. Those that have preceded us in death, and some of you lost people this year, they will be, they will be there. That resurrection right there with us. It's wonderful. Finally, Revelation 5. The Lamb opens the scroll and all of creation begins to sing praises. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All of creation. I can't even imagine that. All the angels, 24 elders, all the creatures God has created, us, all of the redeemed, everyone is going to be singing in this incredible, incredible worldwide, creation-wide song, sound. So we learn throughout the Bible that the ear is synonymous with the heart and it represents a key way of relating to God. Proverbs, Psalms, many of these books talk about this. Proverbs 2, for example, turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. You ever think of turning your ear to wisdom? You ever think of the ear being used that way? We can learn through listening. We can learn that way. Do you hear the voice of God? What does it sound like? Or are you so caught up with distraction? Maybe your career is putting stress on you. Maybe you have young kids that you're trying to take care of. Maybe your marriage is struggling. I don't know. What is the distraction that keeps you from hearing? I'm one of the privileged people that was born with ADHD. Very strong ADHD. I had no idea what it was. I just knew I couldn't function very well in the world that I live in. So when I was going to counseling for it, the counselor said, trying to help me understand what it was, he said, tell me about your high school. Some of you know the story. I should not have graduated from high school. My grades were not good enough. But I did. And uh, I was given a gift. I failed more classes and I passed. So he said, tell me a class that you failed. I said, chemistry. I said, all right. Where did you sit? Front or the back? Can't remember. Teacher, male or female? I have no idea. Windows, were they on the left side or the right side? I don't know. He said, what do you remember about chemistry? I remember chairs sliding across the floor. I remember people whispering, notes passing back and forth. And just like Charlie Brown, somewhere in the distance, I hear blah, 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 blah. I got an F. Chemistry. And he said, and if you were to go into that classroom today, you would probably be surprised at how well-mannered it was. He said, that's, the problem wasn't the classroom. The problem is the way God wired you with ADHD. You're easily, I am easily distracted by the things around me. So then we went out to lunch. This is a warning to you, by the way. We went out to lunch. We're sitting there eating lunch. And he said, um, what are the people behind you talking about? So I told him. <laughs> so what are the people right there talking about? I told him. What are the people behind him talking about? I told him. He said, you track all those things. You just naturally hear them. I do. I've had to learn 
how to focus and not be distracted. What distracts you from hearing the Lord's voice? What is it? By the way, I've learned to love ADHD. It's a gift. It's not a curse at all. While we were sitting there for lunch, he said, okay, look me in the eyes. I looked him in the eyes and he said, where's our server? Right over there. What color is the traffic light outside? Red. How many cars are lined up? Three. Just the way God wired me. And some of you that have ADHD, after the first service, several came out of the woodwork. You know what I'm talking about. And it's very easy to get distracted by simultaneously monitoring all this data, not knowing what to do with it. It's a picture of life. You may not have ADHD, but you are distracted, aren't you? What does the Lord's voice sound like? Because He loves to speak, He loves to talk. He loves to whisper in a still, small voice. He loves to shout. He loves to sing. Proverbs 18, The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. Our ears, so Proverbs 2, turn our ears to wisdom. Proverbs 18, our ears seek out wisdom. Psalm 31, he, he's a psalmist, is talking to God. Turn your ear to me, God. Come quickly to my rescue. Listen, listen. Exodus 3, God tells Moses, I've heard the cry of the Israelites, and they're being treated poorly. I've heard that, and I've come down to rescue them. That's where we get the word save. When we use it colloquially, colloquially are you saved? Have you been rescued by the Lord God? That's where this word comes from. Our God hears. He speaks and he hears. He created these senses for a reason. Whenever you go out into creation, whatever you're doing, hiking, skiing, whatever, using all the senses, and you're taking in information about the world around you, and if you're a Christian, you're taking in information about God. All these senses play a vital role. Psalm 34, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I know that that's some of you. The Lord is near. He's right there, standing right next to you, listening to the cries, wanting to rescue you. Okay. So what do we do with these these verses? What does Christmas sound like? Well, first of all, we're invited to hear Jesus. How many times at the end of his parables did he say, whoever has ears, let them hear? Or John 10, my sheep hear my voice. You see, you have the ability, if you know the Lord, you have the ability to tune in to that voice and listen to it. You can hear it. doesn't always sound the same for each of us because God meets us where we are. You do have that ability. The biggest challenge is the distractions. I live with distractions. I understand them. What's distraction? Just listen for a moment. Shh. Quiet. 
Luke chapter 10, you have Mary sitting at the Lord's feet. Martha's cleaning the house. You may remember the story. And Martha gets a little upset that Mary's, that this is happening. I think the reason why she gets upset is because, as far as I know, um, rabbis did not allow women to sit at their feet, not at that time in history. Jesus may have been the very first. And so Jesus is committing a cultural faux pas. Many times he got corrected by that. Peter corrected him. Mary corrected him. Martha corrected him. You know, there are others that corrected him because of the way he moved out into the world in a way that turned the world upside down. And so what he did was he is showing honor to women by allowing Mary to sit at his feet and listen because he's a rabbi and she's the language that Luke uses is very technical language to describe discipleship. She is sitting as a disciple. And what does it say? She listened to the Lord. You see, not only does God speak to us in a variety of ways, Hebrews 1, spoken to us in many, many ways. Not only does he do that, but then when he sends his son to become like us, we have Jesus right there to talk to us. And what happens with Mary becomes a picture of where we will all be eventually. We will love the conversation and the learning and the listening. We will love it. We'll absolutely love it. In First John, we read this verse last week. Think about the senses that are involved. John is speaking about his life with Jesus during the ministry years of Jesus. And here's how he starts his book. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and our hands handled or touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. God comes to us through our senses. That's one of the predominant ways, and that distinguishes us from all of the ancient religions, the pagan religions, and the philosophies of the world. It doesn't come through thinking about it. It comes through a discerning God who communicates to us and loves to communicate to us. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think, I want you to listen to Mary's perspective about what happened. She just found out that she's going to give birth. Just to give you the context, imagine Eve in the garden. She has just been told, after eating the fruit, that uh, you're going to have a son who's going to defeat, destroy this enemy, going to crush his head. What happens right after that? She gives birth to a son and another son. What a tragedy that one of the sons turns out to be a murderer who murders the other son. Can you picture just for a moment she gives birth to a son? Is this the one? Is this the one? How about the second one? Is this the one? Well, then he's murdered. How about the third one? Is this the one? And that begins a quest down through Jewish history. Okay, yes, in the ancient world, honor was found through giving birth to children, but there's something deeper within Judaism that's occurring, and that is the quest for a son. So you can imagine every, every mother that gets pregnant, is this the one? Is this the one? How about this? Is this the one? How would you even know? 
And then an angel comes to Mary and says, you're the one. You're the one. No ancient God ever did that. None. You're the one. Listen to her reflection. This is her song in Luke 1. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Boy, this is a good leader, isn't it? Bringing justice to a very unjust world. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's Mary's perspective of Christmas. That's right after the angel came and spoke to her, said, you were the one. You were the one. I wish I could give you more insight into what Joseph was thinking, but I read this. Nancy and I did in our Advent devotions this season. And uh, it's just a possibility of how Joseph might have thought about this. Joseph was perched firmly on his branch in the tree. It was thick, reliable, perfect for sitting. It was so strong that he didn't tremble when the storms came or the winds blew. No, this branch was predictable and solid, and Joseph had no intention of leaving it. That is, until he was told to go out on a limb. As he sat securely on his branch, he looked up at the limb God wanted him to climb. He'd never seen one so thin. There's no place to sit, he said to himself. There's no protection from the weather. How could you sleep dangling from that quivering twig? Common sense told him not to go out on the limb. Conceived by the Holy Spirit? Come on. Self-defense told him not to do it. Who will believe me? Who? What will our families think? Convenience told him not to do it, just when I was hoping to settle down and raise a family. Pride told him not to do it. If she expects me to buy that story like that. But God told him to do it, and that's what bothered him. It bothered him because he was happy where he was. Life next to the tree trunk was good. His branch was big enough to allow him to sit comfort. He was near scores of other branch sitters and had made some valid contributions to the tree community. Surely God wouldn't want him to leave. He had roots here. I have a feeling that you can relate to Joseph. You've been there. You know the imbalance of having one foot in your will and the other foot in God's will. Maybe you're in the midst of a decision. It's disrupting, isn't it? You've grown accustomed to your branch. And like Joseph, you've been a pretty good branch sitter. And then you hear the call. I need you to go out. I need you to go out on the limb. I need you to take a moral stand. I need you to forgive. I need you to sacrifice. Regardless of the nature of the call, the consequences are the same. Civil war. 
Though your heart may say yes, your feet say no. Excuses blow as numerously as golden leaves in the autumn wind. That's not my talent. It's time for someone else to do that. Not now. I'll get to it later. But eventually you're left staring at a bare tree and a hard His will or yours? What's it going to be? Joseph chose God's will. After all, it was really the only option. Joseph knew that the only thing worse than a venture into the unknown was the thought of denying his God. So, resolute, he grasped the smaller limb. With tight lips and a determined glint in his eye, he placed one hand in front of the other until he dangled in the air with only his faith in God as a safety net. Now, as things turned out, Joseph's fears were actually justified. Life wasn't as comfortable as it had been. The Messiah was to be born to Mary and raised in his home. He had to push away the sheep so his wife would have a place to give birth. He became a fugitive from the law. He spent two years trying to understand Egyptian. He faced the shame and embarrassment of a community. Have you been called to go out on a limb for God? You can bet it won't be easy. Limb climbing has never been easy. Ask Joseph. Or better yet, ask Jesus. You see, Christmas is God speaking. That's what it is. Christmas is God speaking. Are you listening? Better yet, are you hearing? Father, thank you. Thank you for communicating to us in a variety of ways. Ways that we can receive you, understand you, experience you, hear you, learn about you, relate to you, love you. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to take an offering. Many of you got the email this week. Thank you for your generosity.